1: Listen, laugh, and learn what happens
0: when the only option you have left is to pick truth. Welcome back to another episode of Pick Truth. I'm your host, Dr. Vicki Harris. I'm here with my co-host,
1: Lamont Hearn Jr.
0: And we're here to bring the heat. So uh, as always, this is episode on the ones. And so we do have a guest speaker today. So I'm going to introduce the guest speaker and then we'll do our roundabout of how our our weeks have progressed since our last uh, encounters together. So who we have this week is Dr. Jessica Benson. She has been working with children in the school systems, the counselor for 15 years, she is a student, student advocate, mentor, supporter, and counselor. She's an adjunct professor at a known university. She is the president of the Jefferson County Counselors Association chapter of County, Kentucky Counseling Association. Uh, she's a mother, a wife, and a lover of Christ. And I get to call my friend. Here today we have Dr. Jessica Benson.
2: Hello. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to participate tonight. Something that goes along with just being a counselor is when you do things where you're kind of giving your opinion, like. You usually give a disclaimer, which I'm gonna go ahead and give right now, which is that, you know, I'm clearly a counselor by profession, but when I am giving my own opinion, it is not based in any type of, you know, professional opinion or professional advice. So when I'm talking tonight is based in opinion only for the purposes of entertainment. So please do not take anything that I state tonight as advice on how to handle any particular situation. Thank you. As always, we would suggest if you don't have someone that you can talk
0: to, reach out for help. As as always, we are a strong advocate for uh, therapy and not just self-help, going to the library and reading how to make things work, but working with someone that has tools that help you cope through things that you may not have learned as a child. Because believe it or not, sometimes our parents fall short because they never were taught their coping skills and it goes from generation to generation. So... But thank you for that disclaimer. So how's everyone been this week? If I recall this correctly, Veterans Day is tomorrow, the uh, the day after this particular episode should publish. So we wanted to say happy Veterans Day to all the veterans and thank you for your service.
1: Absolutely. much Thank you for all you've done and you continue to do in the services. We appreciate it.
0: All right. So anyone have any fun or interesting things they have been working on or going through over the last? couple of weeks that they'd like
2: to share? I'm excited because my son is in the middle school playoffs. So that's very exciting and kind of nerve-wracking at the same time to see your child ram into other children for several minutes at a time. But he enjoys it. And um, I'm excited because he is in the playoffs and it will be the end of the season, which will free up my weekdays and weekends. So um, that's something that's fun that's going on with me.
1: So just have a question for you. I played football throughout my life, but I haven't had any children who've played yet. And I never really got to talk with my mom about how she felt about that. Could you kind of elaborate on the kind of nerve wracking part of that for me?
2: So it just recently became a little nerve wracking because my kids have been in sports since they were three. So for me, it's been really kind of fun just seeing them interacting and um, helping them to find out whatever they might be good at. But in middle school, it kind of switches in the competitive sports because there are some people. This is their ticket to another life. So they are on the field like, you know, my son could go to the NFL and you messing up my money, you know, all of that. So for me, it makes me feel pressure for my own son because one, because people are so competitive, they go hard. So that's the harder that they're going to be pushing and tackling and things like that. And the other thing is some parents will call your child out. So they'll say, hey, number 74, get out of the game. If you ain't going to block, you're trash. Get out of the game. You know. So it's mm-hmm. nerve wracking that your child is subject to all of this positive and negative feedback. It could go either way. But right. football... It's this idea that they could get hurt. And then the second part is the psychological piece, because especially for like for, for a boy, in my experience, if they don't do well on the field, it's like they think something about themselves. So all of that is a little nerve wracking. And it just switched, like, because there's high school coaches looking at them. And a lot of people feel like what you do in high school is like, what's going to take you to the next level?
1: So. I completely understand. And that. That's something that I had to deal with. I can remember actually going to, I guess, shadow at high schools. And one of the first people we would see are the high school football coaches. And they were very quick to come to us and be like, well, I can start you with this position and different things like that. And it was it was a lot of pressure. It was, especially when you go out there and you miss a play or two. And the the parents, like you said, they do not let up at all. So, I'm glad that he has someone like you, of course, to be able to be supportive. So,
2: as a parent, sometimes you fall into that role too. Like, me and his sister (laughs) are like, dang, you missed the sack. What are you doing? Like, what's going on with you? You know, we're like kind of on him too. So, it's all kind of things you got to think about, you know, as a parent, uh, especially like a football parent. It gets real. There was like a fight that broke out between parents last week. They were so,
1: wow, they were going
2: hard. It wasn't a game. And that's the
0: thing that I well, so specifically with football, my husband has specifically stated he does not want our children to play football. So they won't. I'm cool with that. I have no. We are in uh, the soft sports. Like uh, my Otis is an athlete. He's in karate. He's in ballet, and he is um, in swim. And he excels at all three of those things. They're not typically brown boy activities. They're typically. But he excels at them and we're not worried about that, you know, that insanity. But I, I don't know if I have the mental fortitude to sit next to someone and they talk trash about my son. I don't make my youngest hug people. He don't want to hug. So I don't know if I could be comfortable with someone saying, you know, something negative and because I would read their parent, I'd read their child, I'd read their people coming to visit them. I'd start a fight in the stands. I'd get kicked out. It'd be a thing it be a thing. So it's probably best. It's, it's probably best. I don't think I have the mental fortitude for that. Like, <laughs> I don't. And you know what? My mouth dropped when you said that. Because when I think about these kids, I just see babies. I seriously, I just see little babies running around. Like, I, why are you yelling at a baby like that? But, okay, then you said something that made me think about how many parents that this is really their shot for their kid to make. This is it. They're not... They're not saying read this book or, you know, practice this methodology. And I know that's not even terminology people typically use, but they're not enriching them with, hey, this is one avenue, but let's make sure we put some eggs in the other baskets to make sure that if one avenue don't work out, we got at least a, a starting place with another. Because getting to the NFL, isn't it like like, like one in 200 million or something it's ridiculous?
1: No, the numbers are crazy. It's, it's hard enough as it is to even get to a college first of all, the, the percentage of kids who actually make it onto a college team. And I don't mean just D1. I mean, D2, D3, NAIA is difficult as it is. And I know we live in a city with a Division one school and there's another one not that far away. And a lot of people think that's the only schools to make it. But even at an NAIA school, it's hard to make it. Those guys who make it there are well above average athletes. They're not just of the mill. So to take that number and then say, you divide that number by hundreds of thousands, maybe if not millions of even the guys who make it to the NFL, the numbers are just astronomical.
2: Yeah. And to be fair, Vicky, I see those people on the football field. They may be encouraging their child to do other things, but I will tell you like my husband played collegiate sports and he explained that mentality to me because I was like, how can a person, Put And, you know, my background is in mental health, mental wellness and all those things, even from like a very young age. So I'm like thinking about the pressure that a child could feel and not have the mental capacity to handle it. Right. And he says to me, well, if growing up, you didn't have access to a lot of things and, you know, people have seen this as a way out, like they see this on TV, this is something that they see readily, then that's what they're going to promote is that path because that's the path that they've seen, that's the path that they know. It's a path that they can understand. Like they might not have seen somebody do well academically and then, you know, make enough money to have a life that they want, but they see it all the time in advertisements and people glorify um, this type of of career path. So, um, you know, just to be fair, I try to think about that and just hope that if a child does go and play collegiate sports, that they sort of are able to create their own mindset behind like education and how that can support you just as well as your athletic ability.
0: Very well put. Very well put. It is looking at that different lens, and you're right. And the funny thing is, if odd enough, so when I have a cousin, sister, niece who uh, did lacrosse, and from that time frame, I understood that there's a shortage of strong lacrosse players. And so, if you put that amount of effort towards this that you're putting towards football, because you know there's a one in a whatever. At least to pay for college, you could probably get that if not double from lacrosse or a lesser-known sport. And it's hard to even imagine that because no one's ever seen that before. No one's ever seen a lacrosse player get a full ride. Because I'm an adult before I understood what lacrosse was. i had never seen a lacrosse stick. I'm like, why are they walking around with with nets and go? Like, what are y'all doing? So yeah, I think you're you're totally right. I think you're you're spot on. But I think it's time to get this lovely show started. So this week, we're going to have a theme of body positivity, or we're thinking about how people see their bodies or others see their bodies. specifically, we have this topic because Jessica is here, and um, this is one of the things that she's an advocate for. So I'm going to jump into our very first truth. This is titled, I'm ashamed of my fit husband, and I'm serving him divorce papers this week. Wow. Where do I begin? This past year has been absolutely tormenting for myself and my well-being, but here we go. I'm a 36-year-old female and have been overweight my entire life. I've never been in a long-term relationship aside from my current husband. Let's call him B. We've been married for almost three years now, and he has been overweight most of his life until last year. B always saw himself as B always saw himself. As ugly and fat, where I saw him as handsome, funny, and overall the best man I have ever met. Last year, B decided to get help with a personal trainer and completely turned his life around. B is more active than ever. And to be completely honest, I hate every bit of it. And I've resented him more and more each day. Instead of going out to eat with me, he either wants to go jogging and, and cook at home. Instead of watching our usual Netflix show and sharing a bowl of popcorn with me, he's in the garage exercising. I feel that he is alienating me and doesn't appreciate me anymore. He won't even eat my food. He does not even want to uh, initiate cuddles anymore. One time, I added a few tablespoons of oil into his dinner that he cooked, and he was so upset with me about adding the calories that he left the house. I am in shambles and I feel like he's ruining this marriage. This has uh, been going on since last year and I've been sick of it. Even my family has noticed that he isn't around me much. I have to lie and say B is working late so I can avoid the shame of telling my family the truth. I've been talking with the lawyer and we are filing paperwork and I will be serving him papers this week. I'm tired of being on the back burner in his life. I tried to talk to him about how uncomfortable his new lifestyle makes me and how sick he is looking. I tried to introduce him to the body positivity movement, and all he does is just shame me by suggesting I go on walks and trying to get me to eat a salad. I'm not a horse, and I demand to be treated with respect. Luckily, I have been entitled to half this state, and I'll be using the extra to get myself an apartment. I'll admit that I'll feel bad about leaving him to better myself. However, I also feel good about not being ashamed of myself and my weight. That was it for the first one. All right, so uh, Jess, you have any opinions or thoughts about that confession?
2: My first reaction to it is, you know, the fact that it is not uncommon for something like this to occur. Um, When a relationship has been built, based in a commonality around something like eating and, you know, like if that's been an integral part in how you have spent time or just how you behave. Because if one person is doing something that maybe is makes the other person feel bad about themselves, then it causes like a rift. So it can happen. I've seen it happen a lot. Like if you watch... Shows like my 600 pound life. When one person gets healthy, the other person no longer feels connected to them. And in some cases, if they can't like care for that person, they lose their sense of identity within the relationship. So in this case, it sounds like that the wife is feeling like number one, she doesn't feel appreciated because he's not eating her food anymore. They don't have the connection anymore because they're not going out to eat. And I would think that she maybe feeling a little bit, you know, maybe like he's on the other side of, you know, acceptance. Like, because now he is conformed to maybe what society thinks is more attractive that somehow abandoned their common stance in this idea of body positivity, where if I'm overweight, I still love myself. I still accept myself. And you should stay in this with me, which I don't agree with because body... Positivity could also include someone who's trying to get thinner and, you know, their acceptance of themselves will increase because it's more in line with what the way they want their body to look, which could include that change with becoming thinner. So that's my first re- reaction is that it is something that is more common than most people will talk about or discuss. It's not something you really want to say. It's like, hey, I'm mad because my partner has, you know, you know, done something that has made me feel less than, you know, Mm -hmm. it sounds selfish to me. what would you rate that? I would say I would rate that as a poblano. I think it can be irritating, but I don't think that it's that big of a deal. They have a difference of opinion about what you know, what health is. And um, they just don't have that connection anymore. So irritating, you know, but it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I feel bad that they're getting a divorce. I mean, I think that's a big deal. I mean, that could be, you know, something spicy, but the way I'm looking at it, I could just, I'm just saying that it's irritating.
0: Okay. Lamont, what's your opinion on this one?
1: I'm gonna have to agree with Jess specifically towards the end of her statement with the divorce portion of it. I do I do hope that maybe they do take steps to try to go through whatever processes they can to try to work through that and see if this is the direct step. And only I say that because we did not get full detail on it, they've already done that. But also I didn't even think of it in the context they just stated in in the beginning with the is it my 500 pound or 600 pound life television show and just seeing those interactions between those couples and how dependent it appears the person who needs the food is when in reality the person
0: uh, just for those who are not in the u.s the 600 pound life is a show about people who weigh 600 pounds or more and they are they move to texas they think move to texas to to work to get bariatric surgery to help them lose weight, and so six hundred pound life tracks their their a journey before, during, and after surgery. So that's that just for reference for those who are not aware what six hundred pound life is. Sorry
1: about that, Lamont. Go ahead. No all good but yeah to to think that the person who is actually needing the other person to take care of them from a physical standpoint tends to be the person who appears to be the one who's most needy in the relationship when in fact the person who was doing a lot of the providing and things like that is actually getting their neediness fulfilled as well and i, and I never really thought about the fact of how she may feel that he's completely just abandoning everything, just removing her value to him. Maybe he just needs to re-engineer how he's providing that to her. That way he can kind of help show her that she still does matter, that he still does love her, that he just needs to find another way to do that. As maybe for the food, it's just not going to be part of his way anymore. Maybe instead of trying to force her to go on walks or runs, maybe he needs to find something kind of intermediate that they both can enjoy. So for me, I'd say it's a poblano. Uh, the divorce part does kind of make it a spicier poblano, but not fully a jalapeno to me. How about yourself? So,
0: so, yeah, I'm listening to you all. And I can see this from, of course, two lenses. From her lens where she feels like there's that lost connection. She misses her friend and they used to do fat kid stuff together. Like, that's what I feel like was happening. Like, you eating buttery popcorn, now you in the gym working out. And the confession she wrote, I don't want her to tell my family the truth. And I'm like, what's the truth? That, like, he's in there drinking water on the treadmill? Like, I don't understand. Like, if you're if your truth was something terrible, like, you know, he's in there, you know, he's on the drugs, he's he's on the heroin. But no, he's in there, like, you know, sweating to the ODs. Like, he's with Richard Simmons. I'm not quite shocked maybe that's embarrassing. I don't know. But I thought from, so from her perspective, she's reacting from a space of hurt. Um, Him losing weight makes it feel like there's something wrong with her that she's not losing weight. So really it feels like it's almost like a trauma response and I can understand that. I can understand that she is not thinking rationally is completely emotional and that there's a set of truths that she has created for herself. And him being thin or going through this hurts her in some way and not intentional. So that's my first lens. And I would give it probably a Pablano. I think you're all right. But then I'm going to flip this and I'm going to be on his, looking through it from the husband's perspective. think in this truth, it was B. You poured additional fat on my food, cuz why? Like when she said she poured a tablespoon, like could you imagine someone just well, I'm just gonna pour additional thing of olive oil on your food, olive oil on your food? Cause because why? Like it's one of those, and then like you know, you're upset with me because I don't want to eat popcorn, and I, I get that, like. Odd enough, we we have the same problem going on in my house where my lifestyle has switched because I've gotten through so much therapy. I don't want to watch TV anymore. I don't want to just hang out and do nothing. Like I'm going to do something. And we are trying to figure out our way through this difference of who we are. So I totally understand it, but I do think it's selfish. I think it's selfish to believe that someone, someone else getting healthy is an attack on you. Or it has anything to do with you. I don't think did he make an agreement with you that I will never ever try to improve my health, that I would never ever try to um work with a trainer to live longer. He never made that agreement. And so it's not fair to treat him poorly because you had an agreement in your head or you've made up something that um isn't 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 true. You know, he never said, I'll be we're gonna be fat kid, we can do fat kid shit forever. Um I, so I would rate this one a tie to me. from his perspective. It's like, why aren't you happy for me? Why aren't you supporting me? Because for all those who've been through weight loss journeys, that stuff is hard in itself. It is hard. And to feel like you work so hard and you go to make, you make this healthy meal and then you're, you're, you're sniffing other just decides to pour fat all over it, drench it in butter or whatever. It feels like an attack and it feels like sabotage. And there I can see that being far more unpalatable for the recipient, so I, I wonder if there's going to be a, a follow up because I want to know, did she actually put the papers? What did the husband say? What does he think? Maybe he's happy about it. Maybe he was tired of
2: fat kid stuff.
0: You, you never know.
2: I mean, and I'm a little bit mad about her because as a proponent for body positivity, she's weaponized it like it is meant to like help people to accept the body that they're in. And it is not. You know, a lot of people connect body positivity to fat acceptance. Like they've made it to where, okay, if you're big and you're fat and you just love it and every, you know, that's body positivity. No, body positivity is for people who are very thin, fat, disabled, you know, maybe people who don't like the way they're, who um, people don't accept the way their skin looks all of those things. So she has taken that and morphed it into something that will be beneficial to her particular stance. And that can be like harmful to a person. So I don't appreciate that about her either. Amen,
0: that's right. I agree. I I didn't even think about it, but you're right. And I think sometimes Lamont has mentioned it. It's like When you have the pendulum swing too far on the other side, people start to use things out of context. You know, within context is don't hate yourself because you're this side or because you're this side. Okay, you can't see my hands. Don't hate yourself because you're larger than you think you want to be or because you're smaller than you think you want to be. Don't hate yourself for that. That's what that that is about. Not don't go get healthy. Come do fat kid stuff with me
2: forever. Come down. Right.
1: Don't use it to you know, then vilify me.
2: That's why Lizzo has been under attack because people don't like the fact that she is bigger. And she she's a proponent of body positivity, but they assume she's not healthy. So, you know, that brings up a whole nother thing. You don't have to be in a thin body to be healthy. And in this particular instance, the, the woman is not even wanting her husband to get healthy, which seems like that's really his goal is about health based on like what you said, rather than just like the shell of that. So when you talk about like the health reasons that brings into a whole nother thing, this whole idea that you got to be skinny to be healthy. Untrue. So yeah, I, I, my
0: fitness goals, I've set fitness goals too. I, I've no longer used the scale as my litmus, litmus for success. Um, I, I've lost tons of inches off my off my body as I, as a, I'm in a goal to see my belly button again. But I, one of the things that I did was just change my mindset around why I'm doing this. It has nothing to do with me losing weight. I may never, ever lose weight, but I still get up and go to the gym at four in the morning on those days so that I can get healthier. And I have my youngest son is my bigger son, but I can pick him up like it's nothing and carry him up the stairs. And I couldn't do
2: that before.
0: And so I may never have a flat stomach and I may never have a, a small waist. And I'm good with that right because I'm cute. But <laughs> I'm good with that. You are. I just want to be able to be healthy and move. So my cardio is about being able to move and, and my weightless and a resistance training is about actually gri- being stronger in my older age because I'm getting up there. Um, so I, I totally get where she's coming from, but I do feel like, yeah, I... I I feel like it's a tie chili and I hope she gets help. Like I, I almost every one of these confessions, I'm always like, if you ever had a, a, a better self-worth, you would understand like, you know, this isn't about you. And if you're happy with what you look good and if you want to change it, that's fine too. As long as you know, the person that you are is wonderful. So, so I think that we can go on forever with that one. So Jess, I think you have a truth. Do you mind reading it for us?
2: I certainly do not. Okay. So my truth is titled, I constantly fantasize about saying no to women once I have achieved my dream body. This fantasy is so motivating that it is ridiculous. Sometimes I think I want to know what it feels like to deny a beautiful woman more than I want to actually be a beautiful. It's not just about finally sitting on the other side of the tape. I want to sit there and put someone firmly on the other end. I lift heavier and diet harder than anyone I know in hopes of being able to do this one day. I know it's wrong. I'm not proud of myself. And I should find more positive motivations for sculpting my body. Hell, I think everyone knows what it feels like to pine after someone who is out of your way. It just plain sucks. But my female friends and colleagues make it seem like such a thrill to have this power over someone that I want to hold it over women myself. Wow. Damani, you want to go first? Do you want me to go or how you want to do this one?
1: I I prefer to go after you. I, I have some thoughts on this, but I prefer to follow.
0: Okay. so, okay, it's a lot for me because I get it. Do what you need to do to motivate yourself. Whatever is in your head that keeps you getting up at the right time every day, I'm all for it. So part of that makes me want to put this as a, probably put because it can irritate someone just to think that that's your motivation. But if it works for you, I'm not one to stop it. But once you get to where you feel like you are, you have the confidence that you want to talk to anyone, because I, I think there's a self-confidence issue. You can talk to any person. No one's out of your league. We're, we're all um, from the same God and we're no one's out of your league. That's my honest belief. Like you go talk to them. And nonetheless, please don't go do that to some woman who you were afraid to talk to. Because it doesn't even sound like you are going up to beautiful women and, and maybe rightfully so. Maybe you've seen some cruel stuff happen because I've seen men turned down very cruelly. So women out there, think about that, please. Because one day you're going to have a son, you may have a daughter or yourself. You don't have to be cruel if you're not interested. So he may have gotten, he may have reached out to women and they've been cruel. And he just wants to put that cruelness out there in the world to them. It's it's not okay. It's that's not an okay thing to do, but he's never made an agreement with any of us that, he would stay fit, get fit, and be a good person. Because I would imagine a, a not so good person will want to cruelly, you know, let you pine over them just to be mean. That, that's not a, a very good attribute, but it's what's fueling him. And uh, the problem is, when you ruminate on a thing, if you ruminate on it a lot, that neurolinguistics happens in your brain and you're going to do it. And he's probably going to get the fittest and cuttest fit and cut and and sculpted and he's more likely going to do the very thing that he said because he's ruminated on it and it's his fuel and at this point it's going to it's I think it's gonna be fun for him not that it's okay but I think it's gonna be fun so keep it if you do the actual thing I'll judge you like come on as a Todd Shelley if you actually start just breaking women's hearts a beautiful women's heart I mean come on don't don't hurt us like that me and Jessica did nothing to you. Don't go out there and hurt all the beautiful women. But thinking it in your head as your fuel, is it's a, it's a dual thing. I don't want you ruminating on it, but if that's what gets you up before, do it. So that's my opinion.
1: What about you, Lamont? Okay, so I kind of have two thoughts about this. So obviously doing anything just to spite people is not a good thing. So that is my initial thought. But the one I kind of want to delve deeper into is this Point that happens between men and women, um, especially in interaction. Um, As a man, and this goes from the men who women would deem the most attractive to the guy who women would deem the most unattractive. For men, there's an understanding amongst men that men do not have the same capabilities to have certain types of communications with women that women have to have with men. The most unattractive woman gets more attention than the most attractive man in a lot of instances, as far as I guess you could say carnal interactions, if you want to keep it that way. So what tends to happen here is for guys, even if a guy is what you would consider the most attractive, he still has to come over, put in some type of effort, some type of energy. In in most cases, obviously, there are some where you can just walk up to somebody, say something, action happens. So I get the thinking and the the dealing with that type of feeling like you're just not ever in that position of power as a guy. But to use it is basically like being given superpowers and then using them for evil. That's the part that I'm like, all right, that's a little bit too much. But I understand the thought process behind it, because as a guy, that does happen. I mean, I can remember being in middle school. I could remember like making I would call my mom's job and I my voice hadn't dropped yet. So I would sound like a girl. I sound like a little girl and people on the phone would, I would say, yes, ma'am. And I was really skinny and it was hard to you know, kind of step out there to talk to girls. But then as I got taller, more muscle, gained a little bit more weight, it became a little bit easier. But even then it was still so much more rejection than I probably would have preferred. So in, in that thinking, I, I understand the thought process. But like you said, if you're going to use it for evil, like that, I'd say it's a Thai chili, but I'm I'm torn. It's still like the thought process, as long as you don't act on it, to me is just a poblana if you don't really use it on anyone. What do you think, Jess?
2: Okay. So first of all, this is so interesting to me because first of all, it reveals the sensitivity of a man, which we don't get to see a whole lot. But my husband and my brothers explained this to me as we got older about this whole idea of having to work up the guts to talk to a woman, whether she is You know, attractive or like Lamont said, there are unattractive women who still may be desirable for one reason or another, their body type or just their willingness to engage in different activities. And the fear of rejection is has a has a great impact or the the experience of rejection has such a great impact that for a man, I could see how it would trigger him to actually think about what can I do to get back at this person because they made me feel so bad and it crushed my spirit and it made me you know not have uh, you know high self-esteem and all of that so I just think that's so interesting how men especially like very masculine men you know on the inside have this very in some cases fragile like persona on the inside of them that can cause this type of behavior considering that that this is coming from some feeling that they have had somehow they've been wounded and things like that. I really think because it sounds like it's a bit of a coping mechanism that it really is just a poblano. And the reason why I say that is because is a response to some sort of feeling. And it sounds like he's not seeking to like hurt the woman. He is seeking for the woman to feel what he felt. He wants to have that desire that, Will not be quenched ever because he can hold on to it. But that doesn't sound like he wants to break anybody's heart or anything like that. Not not to me. I would warn him that it could backfire. What if he falls in love with this woman and then he's rejected all over, all over again and he's back to the same spot. Maybe he gets fat again or you know all that work goes down the tube because you know that that revenge it did it never worked. It just it just backfired. So
0: well, I think it's, it's fat, a game,
2: though.
0: if he gets fat again, I know a divorcee who likes to do fat kids. So he might be call
1: able-
0: <laughs> we could do some matchmaking.
1: Yeah. Have a question but- for both of you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So just yes, you had mentioned fragile and I'll admit, yeah, it is. But I think part of that, like you said, with being masculine, it has to do with the fact that a lot of times as kids and as young men, we're not really allowed to express that. We're made fun of. Amongst men, uh, a lot of women don't seem to like men to not be masculine, not to be at the forefront of a lot of different things. So we're not really afforded that space at a young age. And I try now, even with my son, to make sure that I do give him that space to express his emotions and work through them because I, I already see for myself and for my peers that a lot of us didn't get that. So we don't know how to properly navigate that. Whereas I have also heard from women. And some women, even within my circle, they've talked about they don't approach men because even they don't like rejection because they're used to always being the one approached. So for women, it even hurts them to have a guy tell them, no, thank you, because they're like, anytime a guy approaches me, I get to tell him no anyway. So it's like the one who wills that power is, seems to be just as fragile.
0: Yeah. And it, and it puts them in a conundrum of always serially single. You don't want to talk to anyone, but you don't want the people to come talk to you. Um, all three of us happen to be married and, and we need to thank the Lord we ain't out here in them streets because Amen. some stories that, you know, I hear from my single my single ladies and uh, gentlemen are kind of horror stories. And it's because there's a whole lot of people who are unhealthy walking around trying to find someone to complete them. But don't realize that they have to be one within themselves and another human being isn't going to complete them. So, yeah, I, I can I, all of this. I can see. I I mean, that's a great fuel. It's a great fuel for the fire. OK, so I have a question that's off topic and it kind of pigeon tails or dovetails. I think it's dovetail dovetails with the two truths it's a little off topic. Would you all mind going there with me? All right. So guys, this is a little bit off topic, but it kind of dovetailed into the two truths in our conversation. So I just want to get you all's opinion. So what I'm seeing is an image of uh, two people on a bed, Uh, like it was a woman caressing a man. And she's asking, if you love her so much, then why are you here with me? And so this is the conversation underneath the picture. Let me send it first that way. Him. He says, I uh, Under the picture goes, me. I love both y'all for different reasons. Her. What does she have that I don't? Me. She is smart, college educated, makes good money, loyal, and she had my kids. Her. Why do you need me then? Me. Because of the way you touch me, the way you make me feel, our passion and chemistry is unmatched. I love you. I'm loyal to you just like I'm loyal to her. Okay, so something one of you all said triggered this memory of this. And it was a Facebook conversation. I was reading that. And the person who posted it said, this is deep. It's just some deep stuff. And someone underneath there was like, this ish ain't deep. This is the dumbest ish I've ever heard in my life. What are you all's opinions? Because it it, it kind of dovetails with the wife that wants to 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 leave her a fit husband and, and the guy who who's using rage as his fuel to get healthy. And you think that that is a a real, true and married or not married. if you're a committed monogamous relationship, it, it doesn't matter if you have a paper or not. So what are you all thoughts?
2: One, I think this could be an actual situation. <laughs> like I know it's a little cartoon, but it's selfish. But I, I do think that there are some men who have shared with me that they have this mindset. Like, it's a, like, logically, the wife or whoever the woman is who's educated and makes good money and has the kids, it makes sense to them to be with that person, maybe public or whatever. But the carnal side that maybe wants this other person, like, with their passion and chemistry and all of that, you know, it feeds into a sort of easy accessibility Mm -hmm. that maybe the other person can't provide because the other person comes along with all these responsibilities that go along with being educated and and, um, making money and having the kids. So it is selfish. Um, At the same time, probably pretty true of how, I don't know how many men think, but I've heard it a time or two. So I, I think it's selfish. I think it's real. And um I'm gonna stop there because I can sometimes go too far with both of my thoughts about some, some about men and how they process things. So I'm gonna let Lamont take it from there and give give me his two cents about this from the male perspective
1: okay all right when you first started reading this the first thing this made me actually think of was the movie unfaithful with uh, richard Gere and diane lane which in this case it was actually the wife who was actually having this situation i don't necessarily think it's always geared towards me and i do understand that it is more commonplace i'm not going to pretend like it's not but um i if i if I were to try to even try to make sense of what he's saying which to me it's nonsensical um, to say that you're loyal to both because that's really being disloyal it's weird to me but I can understand the the thought process between saying that on one end he's looking at the situation of, of his wife or his committed partner and all that they've built together as a life and that commitment and the separation of his carnal ideas um, I actually um, heard someone say this um, statement now I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just repeating it as I heard it, as it kind of sounds similar to what this person says. They said, a man shows his faithfulness by where he spends his money and commits his time. Time. and a woman shows her commitment and what she does with her body. Trust me, when I first heard it, it was very similar to this. I was like, all right, I don't necessarily agree with that. But I wasn't willing to go into the conversation and necessarily dive in because I just wanted to see what they were going back and forth. And uh, in that conversation, the guy kind of mentioned, he said a, guy, um, a man could have sex with another woman and not have any emotional attachment to her. Whereas the commitment he has to his wife is based completely can be completely separate from that. So I don't know. That's that's a tough one for me. I don't I don't agree with it. I feel like if I'm going to be willing to step out, I would just rather not be in the relationship. I feel like it causes more damage, not just to the marriage itself, but to also any kids or other family members involved. There's a lot to that. And maybe it's just for me. I don't have the capacity to be able to do that comfortably. So,
2: you know what, Lamont, you brought up something though, too, like you, Mm -hmm. I I feel you when you said it could be men or women, because here's what, what if one person is not filling you in a particular area, Mm -hmm. knowingly and, you know, you know, they're not trying to do something to fulfill you within that area. I've heard people say that if that is the case, does it therefore then give permission for you to hmm. seek out getting that fulfillment from someone else? And therefore, you know, what you all have built your commitment around, you know, um, if if you have excluded that particular part of your relationship from what you're committed in, why can't you go out and get it from someone else Maybe it on the front of finances and kids and, and that type of thing? But if a person can't fulfill maybe your sexual needs, can they then be committed to someone else to get that particular need met? is that i mean in that way that i think about it if their person if both people are okay which in the situation the one lady doesn't seem like she's okay with it but if right. if if all parties are okay with that could you then be loyal mm. because you're loyal to the commitment that you have together the one that is based in passion and the one that's based in all the other things that you can be committed on.
0: Okay, so this, I'm loving this conversation. So I, I wish I could see my little note and the word loyal. It's too blurry. But I wrote down the word loyal when you said that. So, okay. It's my, I made a comment because of the person who kind of just like bashed it. I said, "No, this is deep. I think that people fail to understand that this is a reality, not just for men, but for women as well. And it it isn't always overt. There's a reason why there's an entire cottage industry for affairs and people to do that and still maintain their relationships. What and and what is called um, Jess is consensual non-monogamy, where you have a consent from your partner. That to your point, this is where where we don't commit and where, you know, there's another, there's something else. Not That's not something that most people can manage, consensual non-monogamy. It's not something that most people would ever even think about, but you're absolutely right. It is one of those things where it's real and it's real for some and it's real for like very powerful men who have, quote unquote, the educated mom of your, of your children who takes care of the home that is the ideal of what you're supposed to look like and then they have an entire apartment for their girlfriend who really is some may there for money may be there for passion but that's the person that they have that carnal attraction to or that that relationship with not saying it's good or bad but i do think it's real and i do think it is deep and i do think people need to think about that and think about that from the context of the partners that you choose Mm -hmm. What's most important to you?
1: yeah, I think I think that's interesting cause because when you said that, uh, well technically when both of you said that, I started thinking about it and said, well, if you're talking about commitment to a partner and let's just say on one end that that that, that woman is saying, I need you to be able to provide financially, protect and do all these different things, and that man has certain request And they're more or less carnal. And she decides she's not going to fulfill those, like Jess mentioned earlier. At what point does that get looked at as a negative on her end? And uh, even when people talk about cheating, you know, I don't know if you all have ever looked at the data that they talk about. There's a study shown about who cheats more versus men or women. And one of the things they mentioned was not necessarily cheating in the intercourse way, but as far as emotional and mental cheating. And, and when they show those numbers, they actually show that those two lean more towards women than they did with men. And it seems like those don't really get viewed as much. They do talk about men being willing to put their thing anywhere. But they said that a lot of women were getting those same type of um, endorphin releases from posting pictures on Instagram or making uh, posts or certain things like that to get that same type of release. So I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting thing. So it's got a lot to it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for entertaining me and, and allowing me to kind of just throw that question out there. I know that it is late. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for allowing me to kind of throw that question out there at the last minute. I really do appreciate it. But so I think that ends it for this show. Jessica, thank you so much for being here. Uh, hopefully you will come back to all your friends about it. It was a joy. It was a great conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thank you just for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. Bye. All right. So if you like today's show, help us out. Subscribe and send the show to two friends. If you've not done so already, join our Facebook group, Pick Truth, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Oh, and don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. All right, catch you next time. Later. We can't pick truth without you.
0: Send us your truths at picktruthmail at post.com to see if you can bring the heat.